happy Monday, everybody. Happy Monday. Monday. Welcome to the In Doubt Show. Thank you, all of you who are here. Um, We're grateful to be together today on your uh, Monday morning, 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. You look really tired. (laughs) I am tired. I'm tired. Uh, Chris, how you doing? How's your weekend? It was awesome. Awesome. Good, man. Brendan, you doing good? It was great. Yes. Yeah. We want to hear from our good friend here. So, Donnie, how are you? Let me tell you, it's a terrific weekend. Stocks are going up. I made a lot of money. That's all I got to say. Actually, that's not true. They went down quite a bit. <laughs> so I think we're during a recession, folks. <laughs> <laughs> so you're doing terrible. Quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> quite frankly, terrible. Well, happy Monday. We're uh, All four of us are grateful to be with you today. And... Um, <laughs> <laughs> we want to know, how was your weekend? Comment below. Um, we had church yesterday. How was your uh, time at church yesterday? Uh, yesterday was Palm Sunday, uh, which is a very significant moment in the history of the church. And today is uh, Holy Monday. You know, there's other names for it. But this is uh, Passion Week. And Passion Week is the most significant week of uh, the Christian faith and really um, changed history forever. So this is this is a big week for us, and so we're gonna have Dr. John Newfeld with us uh, in a few moments here, and uh, we're gonna walk through the entire Passion Week, what happened on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, to Resurrection Sunday, and so go. we're gonna have a great time with Dr. John as he unpacks how significant this week is and what happened throughout this week. Uh, but I thought maybe we can do a couple of uh, trivia questions for us. Oh no. I know. Fun. Oh, no. Uh, Donnie's going to answer all the theological ones. Oh. There you go. Before we do that, though, <laughs> I want to remind you. Yeah, I don't think he is. But I want to remind you, we do have this resource available. This is uh, for the entire month of April. Matt Smethurst has a book called Before You Share Your Faith. Before You Shave Your Face. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> Before You Share Your Faith. Um, uh, next week, you should uh, you should do the promo, Donnie. Uh, yeah, maybe I will. Wait. I wasn't talking to you, Brendan. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, maybe I will. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, before you share your faith, uh, if you go to indoubt.ca and go to the store, enter the promo code SYF23, um, you can get this book for free for the month of April. And so I really encourage you to do that because, Donnie, I mean, seriously, what's free these days? Absolutely nothing. So you got to capitalize because inflation is real. But uh, this is actually free. So we encourage you to do that. SYF23 at the store and get your copy today. Um but let's do some Easter trivia real quick, and then I want to jump into the interview with uh, Dr. John because he'll actually have some really good things for us to say, and you guys really don't. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. One of you does. I love it when you like say those lines. You're like building up to it. You've been waiting all day to say that. No, I honestly, honestly, <laughs> I, I promise. I promise. Most of the things that I say are on the spot. I, I have not thought about. <laughs> so you get giddy as you're leading up to it. Because it, <laughs> it like came into your brain. You're like, oh, this is a good one. <laughs> I got to say it. And I like those moments. Yeah, I yeah. hate the moments where like it leaves my mouth, and I'm uh, like, I probably shouldn't have said that, and it's too late. Yeah. Then you repent, and then it's true. Yeah, it's great. You have an advocate. That. You're and, good, man. Yes, and we'll talk about that because this week <laughs> is significant for that. Um, okay, here's some fun ones, and then we'll do some uh, more serious theological ones. See how you guys are doing. So here's a question: How many chocolate bunnies are produced each year? Thirteen. Mm, ooh. Uh, Hundred and wait. Chocolate bunnies. Bunnies. Yeah. Specifically, chocolate bunnies. The bunny. The bunny. A million. A million? Oh, no. More than that. Um, I would say close to a billion. Close to a billion. Can you say okay, a billion like a Trump? I mean, Donnie? Small small bunny of a billion. <laughs> Wait, what? What's the <laughs> Small load of a billion dollars. Okay. Uh, uh, I'm gonna, wait, serious number? 750 million. Okay. Okay. There That's you go. significantly lower than one million. 
No, it's you're gonna, you're gonna higher. I mean, sorry, yeah. your, I mean, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yours is significantly yes. less. See, that was yeah. leaving yeah. my mouth and realizing, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh my goodness, okay. I failed math. Um, the answer is 90 million. Okay. 90 million. So 90 oh, wow. million. That's yeah, a lot of oh, wow. chocolate buddies. Uh, comment below when I ask these questions, and I mean it, actually comment below. <laughs> I don't think you anyone's going to You guys that, are engaging, but not to commenting. Uh, um, the first Easter egg was dyed what color? White. <laughs> uh, I don't know, brown. The cho- <laughs> chocolate. Brown. Oh yeah, I guess chocolate. Okay. What? <laughs> Why was that funny? That's like the well, color chocolate. Like, it seems like a, an odd. Color you think I'm there. making fun of Egyptians again? Okay. Oh, I'm not wow. that guy. Andrew, uh, red. red, red, red. Is there a reason for it? Or? Uh, I don't know. I didn't yeah, get the that end out, The end out show. That's true. Many years ago. All right. Prophecy. Um. This is a, these last two ones, and we'll do some theological ones. How much did the world's largest chocolate Easter egg weigh? I don't in, know. In man. pounds, comment below. In pounds, you, you tell us, man. Another these joke. Are really, these are really like. These are ridiculous. How are we supposed to know the answer? You just have Andrew? to yeah. throw a number in your head. Just, just tell us. Okay, a million pounds, Andrew. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, what's your guess? Two pounds. I, I think I heard him talking about this one because oh. he was so impressed. Oh, well, I was like so, an Easter chocolate, was, a chocolate Easter egg. Was it fifteen hundred? Fifteen thousand eight hundred forty-three. Wow. Seventy-three. Yeah. Oh. Okay, and then uh, no one really cares. There's a circumference of the largest chocolate Easter egg. <laughs> Who gives? <laughs> Who gives a rip? The, Sixty-four oh, uh, feet. Is that, oh. It's sixty-four feet. Dude, that was gonna be my guess. Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, what town is that in? That's in Alberta, I think, isn't it? That, the, so, that, that just, of course uh, it is. <laughs> Pisanka, I think, right? Isn't that what they're called? The uh, largest Easter egg? Yeah. It's some <laughs> random Alberta county. That's not every county, every county. Alberta town has yeah, yeah. the world's largest something. I'm thinking in the United States. I don't know why I said county. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's a couple of theological questions. Oh and then um, we'll jump in. I'm looking right here. How many times did Peter deny Christ after the abandoned? After they abandoned the Lord. That's a little easy. I know. I, think. I, I know. We're I gonna start. Wrong, we're gonna start easy. Yeah, three. My finger's been up the whole yeah, time. The whole time. Three. <laughs> I didn't want to run it for Chris. I was trying to. Thank hide you. It why me. is the Sunday before? Why is yesterday called Palm Sunday? Because of the. The pul- we did this with my pastor actually. As he walked up to the pulpit, we laid palms down for him. Palm branch for for the pastor. No, for him. <laughs> but did you get a small donkey? I'm just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we couldn't afford. It was a. It was you guys a goat. have huge budget. It was a goat. <laughs> we couldn't afford a donkey. You just awkwardly like. Actually, my my dad used to pull a little toy donkey down. That's really the, cute. The, the aisle or whatever. Is your dad and a the, pastor? He is. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Still. So, so uh, he's retired now. Oh, he's retired. Like he was he, saying that yeah. he was Jesus. Is that because that's well, he wasn't riding on the donkey. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. yeah, he so was, he so was so, guiding Jesus. So he was Mary. <laughs> yeah, wait, <laughs> what? <laughs> Just kidding. That's when they were going. Yeah, anyway. we're all confused by what's going on right now. <laughs> yeah. So let's maybe move on to the next question. Okay, last question How many pieces of silver did Judas trade the life of Jesus for? Ah, uh, dang it, I don't remember. Do, do you have that many fingers? No, it's more than 10. It was like that. 13 or something. I don't remember. 30, I think. Wow. wow. There's a three in there. The theologian over here. have enough fingers. Uh, if, I have, if I have two more sets of hands. <laughs> what was the inscription above the cross? Here. 
is it here is the king of the Jews or here something the king of the Jews? Isn't it something the the, the king of the Jews? Um, Jesus of Nazareth, yeah, yeah. king of the Jews. Yeah, oh, okay. Yep. Yeah. Yep. All right. We should get into some real good stuff. Not that that wasn't good. Well, the chocolate ones it were not okay. good. <laughs> <laughs> good, not great. Uh, Dr. John's ready, so let's dive into the interview. Let's learn about everything that happened in Passion Week and how it changed our lives forever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we got Dr. John Newfeld with us again. Come on. I feel like you should just be on weekly. <laughs> Honestly, the last time we talked earlier this year, that was our first episode, yeah. actually, and I was honored that you were there for the first episode, but it was just uh, such a great talk on the Great Reset. So you can watch, go back to the first episode in February, but uh, we are here. This is um, right after Palm Sunday. We are on Monday, and yeah. we are now entering Holy Week, and uh, I thought it'd be great to have you on and walk us through what this week means, what this week looks like to us as Christians, maybe why we, why don't we celebrate it enough? Uh, I know we've talked about that a little bit earlier today, but um, so we're in Holy Week. Can we start by just even talking the significance of yesterday, Palm Sunday? I know a lot of churches mm. don't even really address it, or they just kind of do a regular service, but Palm Sunday is very significant in the beginning of Holy Week. Can we walk through Palm Sunday? Yeah, in fact, what we can say, just even before we deal with the details of Palm Sunday, is that Palm Sunday opens us into Passion Week, which mm -hmm. has typically been called that, uh, the passion of our Lord, his sufferings, and so forth. Um, and uh, prior to that, Jesus was resolutely going to Jerusalem. There was a building, a crescendo of anticipation, is this the Messiah? Are we expecting, because he's coming there to celebrate Passover, you know, and every year the Jews would have said, next year in Jerusalem, that is, we'll meet at Passover again, Passover, the great celebration of um, the deliverance from slavery in Egypt. So every year, waiting for the Messiah, will this be the year the Messiah appears and deliver us from the slavery of Rome and all other slaveries we've ever been under, and will he usher in the kingdom of God? So this 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 crescendo of expectation. Jesus has been in Jericho, and now he's moving up, up a steep hill to mm -hmm. get to Jerusalem, and the crowds are gathering from, from Galilee. And he ends up on the, the, uh, the day before Palm Sunday, he ends up in the house of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Mm. And all sorts of people are gathered there, and they're saying, you know, I mean... Is this the guy? And Lazarus gives his testimony, and other people are there, and they're listening to that. There's a man by the name of Simon the leper, whom Jesus must have healed from leprosy. So, you know, there's this rising crescendo, and the chief priests are saying, if we don't kill this guy, mm -hmm. uh, the Romans are going to say, there comes their Messiah. We've got to stop him. This is going to be a war. And so everything, there's this huge crescendo of expectation, what's going to happen and the next day, of course, is Sunday. We call that now Palm Sunday. Mm -hmm. And Jesus mounts a donkey. In fact, M Matthew even says the donkey was so small that you had to keep its mother with it because it couldn't go out without what? its mother. <laughs> so it's that, I mean, it's that humble of wow, a donkey. Wow. But he's fulfilling the expectation in the book of Zechariah. See, your king comes to you humble and mounted on a donkey. That's a messianic. Mm -hmm. prophecy of what's occurring, and Jesus deliberately gets onto a donkey, and he's making a statement. 
And the statement is, yes, indeed, mm. I am the Messiah that you've long expected. And so this is, I mean, you can go all the way back from the beginning of Genesis that, uh, you know, one will come, the seed of the woman, who will crush the head of the serpent. So this is the, the expectation since the fall of Adam. When will the Messiah come and deliver us from everything that oppresses us? And Jesus gets on a donkey, and everyone says that's him, and he starts to ride, and everyone starts shouting, Hosanna, blessed Mm. is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Basically, they're saying, hail to the king. Mm. Here comes the king of Israel. Here comes the king of the world. Here comes the man who makes the dead rise and heals the lepers and the blind see and the lame walk. And he walks on water, my goodness gracious. This guy has got to be the Messiah. Mm. And now he mounts himself on Zechariah's donkey. And people are laying down palm branches and everything else. This is an anticipation. The place explodes in a a rapture as Jesus goes into Jerusalem. And of course, um, you know, there are those that tell the story and that in the end of the day, Jesus, you know, had these great expectations, but look, they, they put him to death. But of course, we know that not only was Zechariah's prophecy being fulfilled, mm-hmm. Isaiah's prophecy was being fulfilled also, mm-hmm. that he had come to suffer for our sins, right? So it is... It is, in Christian terms, this event is the centerpiece of all of human history. There is no greater moment in the history of the universe. Say it that way, of the universe. The universe was created so that this would stand at the center and give meaning to all that exists. It's that profound. It's a cool thing. Man, but we don't see it as that in today's culture. The, the sad thing to me is, uh, it, we talked about Christmas, mm-hmm. um, so that, you know, in the, in the North American Christian church, Christmas is like the big deal. Yeah. And now Palm Sunday, I mean, there are a lot of Christians that won't even have in their churches a Palm Sunday celebration. Mm-hmm. So it's as if we've turned this whole thing around and we don't even know what's important anymore. And I think we're losing the gospel because of the way we celebrate. Or yeah. we don't celebrate. We don't celebrate. Yep, that's huge. I wonder, so you're saying the most significant moment in history is Palm Sunday? Oh, it, it's, it's or the just cross. The cro- yeah, yeah, just, but, like, just this Palm moment Sunday, in... Yeah. Palm yeah. Sunday opens us up to Passion yes. Week. Yes. And everything that happens yes. in that week. So by Friday, Christ is yeah. crucified. And of course, by Sunday, he's raised from the dead. Can we talk through some of the details of the week leading up to it? Sure, sure. So I know Sunday is a big deal, Palm Sunday. Um what happens on anything significant on Monday? Or well, let Tuesday? me just finish off Palm yeah, Sunday. Yeah. Because, yeah, please. I mean, what happens when he rides into Jerusalem? Yeah, He's staying please. in Bethany, mm-hmm. which is, I'm going to say, maybe about six, seven kilometers out of Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the pilgrims, now, you know, this is Passover, and uh, Passover made Jerusalem swell to three or four times the size as people from all over Israel and what was called the Diaspora, which are Jews that lived in all of the other countries around them, they would journey towards Jerusalem, pass over your commanded to be there, so they would come. And every place is rented out. I mean, the place is jammed. If you've got an extra room in your house, you've got two people staying in one room, right? Because <laughs> everybody is just jammed in. And all the surrounding villages are occupied as well. So Jesus is outside of town, does it bel- deliberately so he can ride in. So it, often we just simply tell the story. So what does he actually do when he gets into Jerusalem? Yeah. 
And the answer is he looks around and turns around and goes back to Bethany. <laughs> That's it. I mean, you know, it, in one sense, it seems anticlimactic. You say, but didn't you just ride into the applause of the crowd? And mm-hmm. yes, he did. Mm-hmm. But he is also indicating that you have the wrong expectation. You think Rome is your biggest problem. Your biggest problem is that you, you have a debt before God. Mm. The biggest problem that you're lost in your sin. Mm. The biggest problem you stand before God's judgment. God's righteous and will treat you in wrath. You need a strong champion to deliver you from the punishment of your sin. And so, you know, he comes in and doesn't do what they expect him to do. He goes yeah. back. Yeah. yeah. So that that's that's Palm Sunday. I mean, it's on Monday that he comes back in. Um, and of course, uh, we know the story of the cursing of the fig tree. Well, you know, it's a fascinating thing about the cursing of the fig tree. A lot of people don't understand why in the world would he, what had the fig tree ever done to yeah, him? Yeah, let's walk through this. This is fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the answer is that the fig tree is a symbol of the temple. And uh, what Jesus is going to do in his once for all sacrifice on Friday is he's going to render all of the temple sacrifices to be useless Mm. because his one sacrifice will now supersede everything else. And uh, there are a couple of meanings in that. I mean, one is that, you know, Israel, as Jesus would say, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who are sent to you. I mean, he's basically cursing the center of Israel's worship and he's proclaiming that it will be torn to the ground. Mm. And, um, and so, indeed, that's the cursing of the fig tree is he is already symbolizing that no one will eat fruit from you again. Remember he says that? And that's what he's saying to the temple. No wow. one will eat fruit from you again. So, you know, Monday's an interesting day because he walks into the temple after he's cursed the fig tree. Hmm. And what does he do? I mean, he t- overturns the tables of the money changers and, and everything else. So, you know, this is an interesting day. You know, Monday is, is, is lots of... <laughs> I mean, what do we say happens on Monday? Yeah. I mean, you know, Monday is the time that he's got the place in an upheaval. Yeah. I mean, he's ridden in on Sunday and he's got everybody really concerned. Now, Monday, he's overthrowing the money changers. And, and, and what's fascinating about what he does there is that he knows they're going to set it up as soon as he's gone. They're going to set mm-hmm. up the tables all over again. Mm-hmm. But the entire issue was that it was a racket. The temple was a racket. So, you know, you could, according to the Jewish law, you could bring your own lamb. Let's say you live out in, I don't know, Nazareth or Capernaum or wherever you happen to live, and you don't want to pay for a lamb at the temple. So what you're going to do is you're going to take one of your own, take it all the way to Jerusalem to sacrifice at Passover. Mm -hmm. But you would know, because it had been done in the past, that the priests who would examine your lamb, even though it was without blemish, they'd say, oh, yes, it does have a blemish. It's no good. They would discount everybody's lambs so that you had to buy one at the, t- at the temple. You had to buy temple lambs inspected by the proper rabbis, and they'd say, this one's clean to buy. But before you could buy it, what kind of money did you have? Mm. And the answer is, well, you've got worldly currency. You've got to take the worldly currency into the temple. They're going to exchange it for temple money, and you're going to get ripped off when you do that. Then they're going to sell you a lamb, and you're going to get ripped off again. <laughs> so it was ripped off once, twice. And uh, what was interesting as well is the place where this commerce was going on was in the court of the Gentiles. 
No, it's the court of the Gentiles. It's the place where the Gentiles, whom Solomon had said, when a Gentile comes to this house and seeks you, I mean, Lord, answer his prayer and do do everything Mm. for what the Gentile asks so that when he goes back to his own country, he's going to say, surely there's a God in Israel. But there was no room for Gentiles anymore because they were making money. Mm. And so Jesus says, my house shall be called a house of Mm. prayer for all nations. Mm. So, um, you know, this starts... This starts something that spills over into Tuesday, which is a day filled with controversies. I mean, is it appropriate to pay taxes to Caesar or not? I know a guy who is married to seven women, and which one will he have in the resurrection? One one question after another. They're now, you know, Tuesday is the day the empire strikes back, right? They're saying, you know, all the crowds are just adoring him. So on Tuesday, they've got questions and they're going to trip him up and they're going to say, we're going to make him look like a fool and nobody's going to think he's the Messiah after Tuesday, except he answers all their questions. Hmm. And so by Wednesday, it's kind of like the eye of the hurricane, I like to Hmm. say. A storm has blown through Jerusalem like they'd never seen before. Hmm. And on Wednesday, everything is calm. This deathly calm happens. And then Thursday, of course, we move to the slaying of the Passover lambs, which would always happen on Thursday. Mm. And so Jesus and his disciples would kill the Passover lamb, and uh, like everybody else would do, and then they would eat it in some agreed-upon place, which in this case is in the upper room. It's fascinating about the upper room. The Gospel of John has 21 chapters, yes? Five of those chapters, Andrew, chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, those five chapters are about what Jesus said in the upper room. Can you imagine that? Such a big hunk wow. of his gospel wow. is in just these few hours in this room because wow. John wants to tell us, you got to know what happened in there was earth shattering. Wow. Then, of course, he goes up on that evening and he goes on the, on the, uh, the uh, Mount of Olives into Gethsemane. He prays. He's arrested that night. He begins to be tried already on the night of Thursday. And he actually undergoes not one trial, but six. Hmm. Um, three before Jewish courts and three before Gentile courts. And so by, by Friday morning, by nine o'clock in the morning, he is being crucified. So it was a night court, which was illegal. The charges were illegal. It was a sham trial. Wow. Uh, he's crucified on Friday. By lunchtime, uh, the sun turns dark. It remains dark until three in the afternoon when Jesus dies. Saturday, and then, of course, Sunday, he's risen from the dead, and all of the world changed. Wow. I know a lot of churches, even my old church, celebrates Holy Saturday, like yes. a, sa- a day of wait, the waiting. Yes. And they didn't like to rush from Friday to Sunday, which I appreciated, the awkward moment, dark moment of just the waiting. Yeah. In fact, there is a lot to be said about the tomb of Jesus. Mm. Um, I, I, let me say this about the tomb of Jesus, that not only does it point out that Jesus was truly dead. But just think about the lifeless body of Jesus. There was a Roman centurion who said, surely this man was the son of God. And he said that when Jesus died. Mm -hmm. He looks at the dead body of Jesus and he believes. You know, we say, look, it it was on Easter Sunday that hope was opened up and then people believed. Interesting. That man believed at the lifeless body of Jesus. Wow. And what's fascinating also, this man named Joseph of Arimathea, who had a new tomb and took the body of Jesus and laid it into that new tomb. Um, John tells us in his gospel that Joseph um, had been a secret follower of Jesus. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. When everyone raised their hands and said, yes, let's crucify him, Joseph did not. Mm. 
but he was desperately afraid of his colleagues. Mm. He thought, maybe I'm next. Mm. And he was secretly a follower of Jesus and didn't let anybody know. Then when Jesus died on the cross, I mean, of all the times in the world to come out of the closet and say, <laughs> here's who I am. You know, um, of all the time. Can you imagine yeah. that? I mean, he goes at that point in time wow. and he says to Pilate, give me his body. I'm his follower. And he takes the lifeless body. Well, we know the disciples are scattered. I mean, they don't believe anything. Joseph does. Wow. Buries Jesus in the tomb. I don't know what he expected. He just simply says, I will no longer be quiet. And so there's something about the dead body of Jesus. You remember Jesus said, and if I am lifted from the earth, I will draw all men. And there he was lifted on the cross, and now he was dead. And even in his death, he was drawing men unto himself. You know, there is something in this story that is so powerful. It's, it's hard for us to, to fathom that. We, that's why I believe we have to keep retelling the story, because yes. if we don't tell it, the next generation won't know. And I feel like we're telling it less and less. We're celebrating it less and less as, as far as the culture and where we're going as a church. We talked about this before the cameras recorded. We talked about it briefly about Christmas. Yep. Christmas is a big deal. We go crazy for Christmas. And then Easter just comes and goes. Yep. Now, in my culture, uh, my family is Egyptian, as you know. You've done a lot of ministry with my uncle. But, um, you know, Easter is huge. And Christmas is just, ah, you know, happy birthday. Moving on. What are the dangers when we reverse that here in North America? Because we're not, we don't talk about, you know, the details like this and even Palm, starting in Palm Sunday. So there are 89 chapters in the four Gospels. Mm -hmm. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the, you know, we might say biographies of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So they tell the life of Jesus. Um, I'm going to say just shy of 5% of what we find written in our Bible, in the four, those four books, are about Jesus' birth. About a third of those books deal with Passion Week, which includes riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, all the way through his suffering and everything else leading to the cross and the tomb and the resurrection. That's one third. Mm -hmm. And then if you look at the rest of the New Testament, yeah. I mean, every, think about uh, Revelation where Jesus is presented as the lamb who has been slain. Mm. Think about what Paul says in Romans 3, that he is the propitiation, the wrath-bearing sacrifice for our sins. I mean, over and over again, the New Testament returns to the theme of the cross. It never, Andrew, returns to the theme of the birth, not that the birth isn't important. But where's the emphasis in the Scripture? That's yeah. clear. And where's the emphasis in terms of our celebration in the Western church? Something is desperately amiss. How is that dangerous for us? Well, you see, Christmas uh, Christmas is really popular for the non-Christian culture as well. Yes. And it's popular because, you know, it's a boon for the merchants. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's so many businesses that, you know, they make up their The rest their of their year, yeah, for sure. At yep. Christmas time. Mm -hmm. So it's important that we keep on whipping up Christmas. I mean, the economy needs Christmas. Um, my response is the economy might. I mean, that's, I'm not an economist. I mean, what? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm a theologian. I'm not an economist. Mm -hmm. So my response is, I guess, um, it's something else to ask the question, what should Christians be doing? 
So at Christmas time, we tend to give gifts and everyone, you know, we're going to get away for, we're going to go to Hawaii for Christmas. We're going to get a car for Christmas. I mean, whatever we do. I mean, you know, yeah. my 16-year-old daughter, look out the window, honey, you got a car. It's Christmas. Merry Christmas. So it's the Ellie, time. don't get any ideas. I know you're only two. You got 14 it's the years. Time of yeah. self, you know, it's the time of self-indulgence. Yeah. But Easter, we can talk about Lent in a bit, but Easter usually... Uh, we begin the the celebration of Easter 40 days before, which is the beginning of the Lenten period. Mm-hmm. And it's a time of self-denial. Mm-hmm. It's a time of sorrow. It's a time of self-examination. Search me and try me. See if there's any wicked way in me mm-hmm. and lead me to life everlasting. It's co- becoming serious again and asking God to renew us and to come to terms again with what great sacrifice was required mm. to give us forgiveness of sins. Mm. So they're opposite. They're opposite. Christmas is get, 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 get. And it seems like Lent and Easter is actually giving up. Yep. Pick up yourself. your cross, yep. deny yourself, yep. follow me. No one wants to do that. They want to get, 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 get <laughs> in our culture. Yeah, except it's so empty in the end. I mean, after yeah. a lifetime of getting, I mean, we are, every time we continue to self indulge, we find ourselves just a little emptier than we were before. Isn't that ironic? Oh, my. So you mentioned Lent, and I'd like to talk about that and just get some understanding of it. Maybe a lot of people who are watching or listening don't understand what Lent is, so it's 40 days before. Um, Can we talk first about Ash Wednesday? Yeah, Lent, uh, 40 days before Easter is always a Wednesday. Yes, and And that's Ash Wednesday. And we call that Ash Wednesday, so why? Well, historically, within the church... Um, Ash Wednesday was called that because believers would gather for worship and service and it would introduce the Lenten period and uh, a a time of reflection and examination. And so people would come forward and receive um, either from a a, minister, sometimes a priest, depending on one's tradition, and the priest would make a, a sign of a cross on your forehead in ashes. And the idea is that this was a time of you know, dust and ashes is mourning. Mm. So this is a time of mourning. Um, this is a time of, of humility. Um, this is a time of seeking the Lord while he may be found. And so it would introduce us into this time period. So Ash Wednesday was always the, the gateway, the entrance. Okay, we're now in the Easter season. It's time to think about and reflect on the meaning of the cross. And I, I, was, at a, I was doing a tour in the U.S. and I was in San Diego and I remember going to a restaurant with a friend and every single person in the restaurant had a cross, an ash cross on their forehead. Interesting. Which I thought was very fascinating because I'm, I'm, I'm assuming not all those people there are devout followers of Christ. Right. I, mean, I could be wrong. Yeah. But um, it seemed like it was a little bit of a trend, kind of like Christmas is a you know, cultural trend. So I just thought that was really interesting that everyone was doing it. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing in the Bible that says we have to celebrate Lent. Let's be clear about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But there's nothing in the Bible that says we need to celebrate Christmas. Yeah. And it's fascinating to me that in the North American church, if you say, I don't celebrate Christmas, we, we, we kind of think <laughs> you, you might not be a Christian, right? Yeah. But if I don't celebrate Lent, well, that's what expected, right? And yet Lent goes right back to the foundation mm-hmm. of the church, mm-hmm. and Christmas doesn't show up till almost 300 years. Yeah, um, fascinating. So, so the, the reality is this is our ancient tradition. Yeah. But there's something else that's involved. I think one of the reasons why Lent has gotten a bad rap is because people do silly things during Lent. I'm going to give up chocolate during Lent. You know, you hear about all that stuff, right? Um, you know, so 
If you gave up chocolate, God bless you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, my response always <laughs> is that we ought to do what Psalm 139 tells us to do. Search me, O God, and yeah. try me, yeah. and see if there be any wicked way in me. So Lent should be a time of self-examination, asking the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. to give us insight if there is anything in the way in which I'm acting or a habit that I've formed in my life that is displeasing to the Lord. So let me give you an example. Let's say you come to the conclusion that one of my difficulties is I tend to gossip, I tend to slander others. Mm. So people would go into Lent and say, the Holy Spirit has revealed this to me. And so I make a commitment before the Lord for the next 40 days. I will allow no negative thing about any person to escape from my lips. Mm. I will learn a new habit with the help of the Holy Spirit, and Mm. I will give up speaking ill of people and speak only well of him. This is my commitment to you who died for me. Wow. So this helps us celebrate because when believers do self-examination and when we build it into a tradition, uh, then we expect ourselves to come every year and ask, Lord, renew me again. Mm. Have I allowed undisciplined patterns to develop in my life? And rather than to let them go on year after year after year, every single year we come back and say, what are those things? Cleanse yourself from them. Mm. So that's that can be a great practice mm-hmm. as believers enter into that period. Yeah, that's huge. And And you mentioned Lent is not necessarily a biblical, there's no biblical reference to it. No, there's no biblical reference to it at all. Um, Outside of, we do know that in Scripture there is a pattern of developing celebrations. Mm -hmm. So uh, we know that very early on the Christian church had three celebrations throughout the year. Uh, The highlight was always the Easter celebration. Mm -hmm. The second one after that was Pentecost, Mm -hmm. which is not only the coming of the Holy Spirit, it's that for sure, Mm -hmm. but it's also, that's the church's birthday. Mm -hmm. Huge. That's huge. Yeah. This is when the church began. So that was always a huge celebration. North America has, I'll bet you most North Americans don't ever remember celebrating Pentecost. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the third one would be the the celebration of Epiphany, Mm. um, which would be celebrated in January, by the way. Mm -hmm. And it would be the celebration of the beginning of Christ's public ministry when he began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So after he is baptized by John, he goes public. And they would say, this is the time when the great light began to shine in the world. So years later, Christmas gets added to that. Yeah. But weirdly enough, in North America, it's almost like we're left with the Johnny-come-lately. And I'm not arguing against Christmas. I mean, I'm all for it. Um, I, I love Christmas. Yeah. But It's just I, fascinating how that one has been elevated and the other ones are almost gone. They're almost gone. Yeah. Yeah, and, and yeah, that's the, the Easter remains, but it is languishing. It's yeah. Sometimes it looks to me it's almost on a respirator. Yeah, yeah, that's really sad because we just walk through Holy Week or Passion Week and it's like, this is the foundation of everything. I know. This is everything. This is, this is this our is, faith. Yeah. Yeah, if we can't get together and celebrate our faith, I mean, when, when do we do that? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you mentioned, we, we were talking before, um, that, you know, Lent is not really a biblical practice so you you pose the question like do Christians even partake if it's not biblical? Well, you see, here's the thing: uh, we are given freedom, and mm-hmm. and I will not condemn someone who takes no time to celebrate any Lenten celebrations. Yeah, uh, we're, we're given freedom yeah. in this sense. Yeah, uh, but if we're going to do that consistently, mm-hmm. we need to start releasing people who say I don't do Christmas. Right. Stop looking right. at them down our nose. Yep. Stop in, you know, pretending you must belong to some kind of a cult if you don't do that. 
uh, then have the same attitude across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, I would say it's good to build traditions into our lives mm-hmm. and into the lives of our children. Yes, huge. I mean, traditions really do center our kids into the historic faith if they're good traditions. Yeah. And I would argue that Lent really was a good tradition. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. That's really important. Um, going to Passion Week, I, just, I do have a question, and um, we didn't really talk about this before, but uh, in, in that week, Judas betrays Jesus, yeah. and there's that whole you know, thing that happens. Uh, in Luke 22, verse 3, uh, when we ask, okay, why did Judas betray, uh, it's mentioned that Satan entered him. Yes. Can we talk through like what that even like what that means for uh I mean that just seems overwhelming to me and is it something we should be worried about of of the enemy entering us in in a way like that? Judas was not I mean, he was an interesting man from the very beginning. Yes. I mean John tells us he was pilfering out of the out of the collection box. Mhm. Um, and that when Mary comes to, you know, pour the perfume on top of Jesus' head to prepare him for his burial, I mean, Judas is the one that led the way to say that could have been sold mm. uh, and given to the poor because that was very, very expensive stuff. And uh, and then John interjects and says he didn't say that because he was even slightly concerned about mm. that. And so he did that because, you know, he was only... He was only worried about the money that he wasn't going to get a chance to steal. Interesting. Uh, so you know already the man um, had ulterior motives for yeah. following Jesus. Yeah, from the I, very beginning. I think he looked at yeah. Jesus and said, yeah. if this guy is the Messiah, and if I'm near to him, when he takes his kingdom, I'm going to be rolling in it. Mm. And so, I mean, he always thought, what do I get out of this mm-hmm. monetarily? Mm-hmm. And then, of course, he makes the deal with the, uh, with the Pharisees, I mean, sorry, the, the chief priests, and uh, so yeah. he gets paid out for that. I'm going to argue maybe around three to four months of wages he gets in his pocket for that. Um, and then, of course, um, when he is at the Last Supper, mm. and then he goes out, and I love the way the gospel writer says it, he goes out and it was night. Mm. You know, the, the light of the room, he walked into the darkness. Mm. So when we say that Satan entered him, uh, he now, when Satan enters him, I'm going to say this about Judas. He, at that juncture, has no way back. Mm. He is now unredeemable. Peter may have denied Christ. Christ reinstated him. Mm-hmm. Um, Judas betrayed Christ, and his end was now ruined. He was sold out to the way of evil. And even though, mm. in the end, either the money became horrible to him, mm-hmm. um, He's running to the chief priest and saying, I, I can't, you know, this is blood money and all sorts of stuff, and he's beginning to panic. And uh, the chief priest said, you know, what's that to us? Mm. Like, I don't care. I mean, you know, if, if Judas would have said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang myself, they'd have said, not our problem. So mm. he has nowhere to run to. And recognizing he separated himself from Christ, he now remains separate from Christ. So he is, his future and Satan's future is one and the same. Wow. Yeah, it's huge. You you read through the story, and it just you keep finding things 
Yeah. The the Bible is just living and active, and yeah. you just yeah. you keep discovering and discovering, and you dig and you discover and you discover. Well, it's because you know. Tell you this as a as a pastor, getting back to the Christmas theme. As a pastor, I always struggled around Christmas because there's just a few texts. Right? Yeah, what am I going to preach? I got to preach on, and I got to really work <laughs> them hard, right? But there is no end of texts. Wow, around the whole Easter season that I could cover. I could cover months of the stuff and never get to an end by the you know by the end of my life. Just do it every year, several months of it. And it, the, the fact is, the more you dig, the more you begin to it, do an examination of Judas and warn God's people hmm. that if you allow these sins that Judas allowed to grow inside of him, never be checked, never be under hmm. repentance, never do what we tell people to do at Lent, to have the Holy Spirit examine us. Are there wicked ways in me? And I will renounce them now for the sake of the cross. Mm. So if you never do that and you allow these sins to continue to grow, look at Judas and say, that's where this leads to. Yeah. Um, so there's lots of lessons to learn. Wow. Yeah. So good. I think that that's a great transition for us to dive into some dangerous doctrines. Huh. I want to talk about sin and talk about different things. So now we're going to do, we're going to do dangerous doctrines. Whoa. Looks like it's time for d- 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 dangerous doctrines. D- 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 dangerous doctrines. I hope that wasn't too loud on your ears. No, <laughs> Should have done a check first. But uh, <laughs> all right, so I want to talk about. So this is something that's pretty heavy, uh, heavy theology. But I know we can unpack it together and and um, we can you know share it in a language that we can all understand. Because this is even hard for me. But I want to talk about something that's getting popular. So we want to talk about um, penal substitutionary atonement. And there are a lot of um, churches and leaders who are kind of denying it and walking away from. That reality. So first, break down penal substitutionary atonement for us, and then we can talk about the dangers of not, um, you know, standing on that theology. So three words, penal, penalty. Uh, substitutionary means he is substituted for us. And, uh, and um, atonement. Atonement is that his life pays for our sins. So the, the really, the, the word that's attacked most is the penal. Mm. That is, the penalty for our sins were laid onto Christ. So he became sin for us. Um, so the, um, in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, Jesus is sweating drops of blood. Mm-hmm. Martin Luther said, no man ever feared death as much as Jesus. Yeah, that's huge to think. That's huge to think. And we say, well, how would that be mm-hmm. if he's the son of God? Shouldn't he be peaceful? It's because a cup is being, you know, he says, if it be possible, mm. take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So a cup is extended. And in the Old Testament, especially in Isaiah and in Jeremiah, the cup is a cup that's filled with the wrath of God. In in those prophets... God says to the nations that oppose him, I'm going to give you a cup of my wrath and you must drink it and it will cause you to go mad. You will stumble and you'll fall and you'll be destroyed because you've drunk this cup. Mm. So the cup is the cup of God's anger. And now the cup of God's anger is being extended to Jesus. And in this cup is the anger of God for the sins of the entire world. So it's not the death per se, it's the it's cup. not the death, yeah. See, there are other people that have suffered as much as Jesus physically, mm-hmm. but nobody has been offered the cup of God's wrath. Mm. And so in that sense, Jesus suffered far more than the sum total of all human suffering. Mm. 
And so this reason, this reason that we say on the cross, the reason why Jesus cries out on the cross, you know, the sky has gone dark and uh, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the implication in that statement for so long, because hour after hour on the cross, the father was pouring out onto the son his wrath. Mm. And as the wrath is being poured out on the son, the son is suffering horribly on that and he's paying for the sins of the world. And as he does so, he cries out to the father. And so in the end of the day, when Jesus says it is finished, he means that he has fully satisfied the righteous anger of God. It is now complete and nothing but nothing can be added. And this, Andrew, is why it's so important for us never to have a works theology. Because if we say, look, I've done some sins and I I, I can take care of it. I'll I'll make it right before God. When we do that, we denigrate the cross. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There is nothing to be done. Andrew, your sins and mine are so large, we can't pay for them. Mm-hmm. But Christ paid for them. And therefore, all we're left to do is glory in the cross. And so when we say penal substitutionary atonement, we're really speaking about the wrath of the Father poured out onto the Son. It's being typically denied, and yet it's affirmed in Isaiah who talks about Jesus, that his death atones for our sins. Mm -hmm. It's affirmed by Paul in Romans chapter 3 when he calls Jesus the propitiation for our sins. Mm -hmm. That is, he is the wrath-bearing sacrifice, Hmm. the sacrifice that takes away wrath from those who believe in him. So that's that's such an important doctrine. And we tend to not want that God. We tend to want the affirming God. So what does... Yeah, so what does the danger look like? Or what does it look like when a church or a pastor is preaching and this is being denied? When it's being it's denied. obviously not going to be a very blatant, open... We need de- to warn people about the wrath to come. Yeah. It's a part of the gospel. Mm-hmm. We need to tell people there is a judgment day. Mm-hmm. We need to say that, our, um, that the, the best we have ever done is as filthy rags before mm-hmm. God. We need to say that There is a judgment of eternal condemnation for all who have rejected the God who created us. Mm -hmm. There is no greater sin than to denigrate God. Mm. Uh, I've said this before, as horrible and as horrifying as crimes against humanity are, crimes against God are infinitely more horrifying. Mm -hmm. And we are all guilty of that. And because of that, we have no hope unless God sends us a Savior. Yeah. So this makes Christ the exclusive Savior. This makes us unable to do anything on our own behalf. We stand guilty before him. His salvation frees us. We are totally dependent on Christ and nothing on ourselves. See, people don't like that. They want to say, but isn't there something good in me? Mm. And my response is, Christ's death has shown us that everything that is good in this world is in Christ. Mm. And I am only good so far as my life is hidden in him. Yeah. And unless this doctrine is preached, yeah. uh, people will go to church and they will assume they're Christians, Andrew. Yeah. They'll say, I'm doing the best that I can. I've seen people baptized and said, you know, I've, you know, I've, I've, um, I've decided I, I start walking with God again. And on that basis, they were baptized rather than saying, I realized that I was a sinner in danger of eternal damnation. And God sent a Savior, and my entire hope is in Him. See, that that's the reason we baptize people. That's the only reason. And so 
we talked about this a little bit about the danger of the sinner's prayer. Yeah. And how I watched a guy online talk about how, you know, the, the sinner's prayer has led many people to hell is what he said. And I thought, well, that's a crazy statement. So I kind of dug deeper to see what he's talking about. And I get what he's trying to say. We, and we talked about this a few months back about what you win them with is what you win them to. And so if you're winning them with fluff, then all of a sudden, you know, so what would you say about that? Because I feel like maybe a lot of people are assuming they're Christians. Yeah. Now I want to be careful here on the sinner's prayer. And that is to say, look, um, there are a lot of people who understand Yes. Uh, God is holy. I'm not. I need a savior. Yes. And therefore, the sinner's prayer for them is an act of, I renounce my sin. Yep. I fly to Christ. Yep. I I am now, from this day forward, put my confidence in Christ and none in myself. Yes. And I humble himself and call him Lord and God. Mm-hmm. It's a great sinner's prayer. Yep. We ought to do it. Yeah. But if the sinner's prayer is only um, that I knew that there was something lacking in my life, there was some meaning or some joy that was lacking... And so I'm just adding God to fill up that which, you know, there's still a hole inside me. Mm-hmm. And there's never a renouncing of sin. If the sinner's prayer does not lead us to renounce our sin and turn from it and fly to Christ, then it leads us to damnation. That's a fact. Mm-hmm. So I want to be careful. It's the misuse of the Misuse of it. Yeah. yeah. And leaving out the sin part. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and, and the Savior part. Yeah. 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 Because if there's no sin... And no savior part, what is the prayer then? You're just trying to fill in a... Yeah, the, the thing is that I, I I think that if I ask Jesus into my heart... By the way, you know, you can search the entire Bible through. You'll never find anyone asking Jesus to come into their hearts. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's wrong to say that. It's just not a biblical formula. Mm-hmm. The biblical Which form- is a huge eye-opener for maybe many people who are it listening. It is. Yeah. Oh, yes, That's because huge. a lot of people think it's in the Bible. So, yeah. you know, write me and show me where it is. Yeah, you know, please. Not, yeah. Um, <laughs> but what what's really there yeah. is... Uh, repent yeah. and believe the gospel. Yeah, that's what's there. Yeah, yeah. And I think with this um, denial of penal uh, substitutionary atonement, there's not a lot of repenting because that's right. Yeah, that's where the danger is. And then we also open ourselves up to universalism because everyone else is trying hard and they're seeking God in the way that they want to, and so forth. Define universalism. Uh, universalism the is the idea yeah. that in the end every single person will be saved. Okay. So that's the idea. And so if that's the case, then all we're left with is, you know, finding our own pathway. And in the end, whatever that pathway is, God will honor that because God's affirming of everyone and so forth. So it it basically recasts God in a late 20th century, early 21st century cast, a mold that we... Mm -hmm. Basically, it makes God like ourselves. Mm -hmm. I mean, we want to be affirming, God's affirming, you know, that kind of thing. So it takes our culture and then imposes that and says, that must be God. Yeah, I see that happening a lot. And so what would would the dangerous doctrine when people deny this theology, what would that look like on a Sunday morning just to warn people? Because it's going to be subtle. Yeah, basically it looks like, first of all, the gospel is not heard and preached. Right. So you're not hearing about... You're not hearing that you are unworthy of God, that yeah. you stand before the bar of judgment, mm-hmm. that you need to renounce all known sin, yeah. and that you need a Savior. So when you haven't been told that, or mm-hmm. when you're said, look, we're, we're just going to be more seeker-sensitive because that seems to be off-putting, um, then you begin to develop a view of the cross where the cross tells you everything from this is the extent of God's love, which it is. Mm-hmm. But it simply says, look, this is how much God loves you. And I, I've heard people say, 
you know, God loves you so much, the cross tells you he can't live without you. And to that, I always respond by saying, well, as a matter of fact, eternal ages existed before you came about, and you God can... was doing quite fine without yeah. you, right? Yeah. yeah so, not... you know, you can live without you yeah. quite well, thank you very much. Yeah. That's not the message of the cross. Yeah. The message of the cross is that God loves. That's true. Mm-hmm. However, we haven't yet defined the kind of love. It's the kind of love that takes that takes sinners deserving of eternal damnation mm-hmm. and brings them to the place of utter repentance. Uh, Augustine, great theologian, said, you know, the, when you first confess your sins, that's the first time in your life you and God have ever been on the same page. God says you're <laughs> a sinner, good. and now you say, yes, I'm that's a sinner. Good. And that's God good. says, finally, we're talking the same language. That's so good. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think that's what we need to... We, yeah. When that's not being heard anymore... Yeah. Or when sometimes people stress what has been called the doctrine of Christus Victor, that is Christ defeated the powers of darkness on the cross, which he surely did. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when we say that's the message rather than Christ died for our sins, mm-hmm. when we say you know somehow Christ rendered ineffective Satan, or even others say, I mean, that the, the cross is an example of passive non-resistance. Hmm. Some people will argue that. So if there's always this attempt to make something else the center of the cross right. rather than the penal substitutionary atonement. So I'm not arguing that these other images are not out there. Yeah. I'm simply saying this is the centerpiece. Yeah. And if you take the centerpiece away, nothing else makes sense. Yeah. So you see the other things within the what the cross brings, but it's not the foundation. Sure, Christ defeated Satan because we were held yeah. in prison by our prisoner who is Satan. Yeah, tell me this analogy again because I think this is really eye-opening. Yes, I mean, yeah. so Satan holds us in prison and we cannot escape his grasp. He's the we jailer. Are, he's the jailer. We yeah. live in his dark dungeon. Yeah. And then Christ dies for our sins mm-hmm. and defeats Satan so that he no longer has the legal right to hold us anymore. Mm-hmm. He's blown the prison doors open mm-hmm. by his death for us. The, the penalty for sin has been paid. It's as if something has come from the judge that says, not guilty. Yeah. And if I'm not guilty, the prisoner can't, I'm sorry, the, the prison guard can't yeah. hold me anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So I am allowed to go free. So yeah. yes, Satan was conquered, but he's conquered when Christ paid for my sins. Yeah. And that's important because if we don't put that part together, we miss it. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. And just encourage you who are watching or who are listening, it's just important to just identify if a church is not, if your church is not preaching the gospel. Preaching the gospel. I I think a lot of churches are preaching the love aspect, which like you said, yes, there is love that you can see through the cross, um, but there's so much more. And, and, um, you know, maybe you didn't hear that yesterday or you might not hear that this coming week but uh, that's a that's the foundation of literally everything if i can add something you know um i have i can't tell you how many various new pastors i've interviewed for a position mm-hmm. um and one of the questions i've always asked is to say explain to me the gospel mm. what is it if i don't know how to get to god explain to me how i can get there and then i just listen and I've had lots of people say, well, you know, you've got to follow Jesus. Not arguing we shouldn't be following Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. And, and all lots of things. And I remember one guy, he talked for over half an hour. And then I said, now stop for a moment here, because in this half an hour that you've talked, 
you've not once mentioned the cross. Tell me why that is. And he said, I don't know. So it's just that he didn't know the gospel, you see. Mm. And you don't know the gospel if you're not talking about that our sins have consequence and that we need a Savior and only the cross removes our sin and pays the guilt for our sin. Yeah. Yeah, that's the gospel. Yeah, that's the gospel. And that's that's the whole point of this week as we lead up Amen. to an amazing uh, weekend for Easter. That's why we celebrated Palm Sunday yesterday. Uh, this is the biggest moment in the history of the world. Hallelujah. And, yeah, and uh, I know that because Peter says that, yeah. that uh, Christ crucified before the foundation of the world. So yeah. God created a world that would, the greatest highlight of his glory, yeah. of his greatness, yeah. is not creation. It's the cross that's put at the center of creation. Creation exists so there could be a cross at the center. Yeah, amen, 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 amen. Awesome. Um, there's one funny story that I wanted to share before we leave, and I don't even know if we should do that. It's just about my uncle when you went to Egypt on Easter. Yes. Um, so tell us about that that situation because I just find that just so funny. Well, there's two stories, and they're both funny. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and one of them, we were going during the day to a church, and uh, it was, uh, we were going uh, Easter, mm-hmm. and uh, there was a banner across the street. I don't know if I've told you this one. Yeah. There's a banner across the street in Arabic. Yeah. And uh, your uncle said to me, um, can I read that banner to you? And I said, sure. And, it's, and he said, well, I'll translate it. It says, preaching here today from Canada, Dr. John <laughs> Newfell." And I said, yeah, right. You're hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it said. And I didn't know it. <laughs> and, <laughs> and your uncle, bless his heart, he thought everyone should be ready to preach, pray, or die at a moment's notice. <laughs> <laughs> He's testing you. <laughs> yeah. And I did. I preached that place. I still remember we walked in, and I'm ushered to the front. I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting to sit in the pews. Yeah. And I'm ushered to the front, and I've got just a little green pocket Bible. Yeah. That's all I had with yeah. me. And I've got that out, and I'm saying, okay, right I'm going to go sermon. there. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the first time I ever preached in Egypt, wow. and it was that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Hopefully that wasn't the last. Was that the last? <laughs> <laughs> I know that church has never had me back. <laughs> <laughs> totally unrelated note. <laughs> How long did you have to write a sermon? Thank God their worship is long. Well, yeah, it was long, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was it like two opening songs and you're up? No, no. <laughs> That's so funny. What's the second funny story? I don't know well, if I remember that one. Well, the second funny story, it probably wasn't that funny. Okay. And that I was in the middle of preaching and suddenly it all stopped and, and there were individuals in the room uh, from the government and wondered why I was, what I was doing there. And where oh, I was from, right? right, right. And uh, so we stopped for a while and there was a conversation that was held and then they were satisfied and then they walked outside and then I was told I could go on preaching, but... Quite frankly, I had forgotten where I'd left off. Right? <laughs> and didn't you ask him, like, hey, is this about me? Oh, don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, he said, don't worry about it. And then we've come back to Canada. He said, yeah, it was about me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just didn't want to scare you. <laughs> oh, but I love in Egypt how Easter is a big deal. It's huge. It's huge. It's and huge. Christmas is a very small deal compared yeah. to Easter. And and I pray that uh, for us who are listening, if you're watching or listening, um, that, that Easter is a big deal for you too. And I, I'm really grateful for you to unpack uh, what this week looks like for us, how significant this week is, how significant yesterday was for Palm Sunday and how it started this whole week and uh, how significant and beautiful and amazing this weekend Amen. is for believers. And so I hope you're inspired today when you're, if, if you're watching or listening and, and to just be uh, in your word, diving into your word, 
immersing yourself in this story and uh, realizing that this is this is the moment that changed your life and changed history forever. So thank you so much for unpacking that for us. Thanks for having God me. God bless you, man. Thank God you. God bless you, Andrew. All right, that was a fantastic interview. There was so many uh, nuggets of wisdom there and just a good theology uh, that really inspired me and encouraged me and reminded me the, just the significance that, uh, you know, maybe our culture today, we elevate Christmas a lot and, uh, you know, Easter just kind of comes and goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Im- you know, that just shouldn't be. Yeah. Imagine if, like, Christians decided to make Easter, like, bigger than Christmas. Yeah, that'd be well, nuts. That would be nuts. Yep. But unfortunately, we need capitalism to help us with that because those Boxing Day sales, man. <laughs> well, what if That's we what had, gets the secular yeah. community riled up. <laughs> Why doesn't all the Christian stores do like big Easter sales? Yeah, chapters. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> House of James. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're turning the culture around, baby. Come on, let's do it one store at a time. But seriously, though, I feel like... Um, It'd be tough to convince a place like Walmart. Yeah, to, yeah uh, come on. <laughs> Yeah, there's yeah. no way. There's no way. But it's just a, it's a good, it's an eye opener that like literally it's just for the economy to yeah. elevate Christmas. That's a big part of it, yeah. Well, yeah. Christmas is very profitable. It's very profitable. Yeah. Easter is not as. Yeah. So. Yeah, so, but man, the story of Easter, and I, I mean, we talked about it a little bit, like my parents are from Egypt and my uncle who does a lot of ministry in Egypt, Easter is huge in Egypt. Mm. And then Christmas, they're like, oh yeah, like, you know, Merry Christmas. You know. <laughs> yeah, big deal. But Easter, they go crazy because it's like the most significant yeah. moment in history, and it is. Yeah. Um, of course, his birth is important, but I love how he just related like the amount of scriptures that talk about the birth, and then the amount of scriptures yeah, that, that talks significantly about mm-hmm. you know death, resurrection, and Passion Week mm-hmm. is like way more. Yeah. So yeah. the emphasis in scripture is clear, but the emphasis in culture is yeah. backwards. I mean, even within the church. I, it doesn't even seem that yeah as, yeah. as significant like yeah. even the you know the events and the services we put on not all churches some some churches do treat Easter much more significantly but I think part of that might just start with us just like us yeah. personally emphasizing Easter and like being intentional about like talking about Easter like with your friends and like in church services and yeah your friend groups and stuff like that yeah but yeah well because I mean with Christmas you get Advent yeah and it feels like the entire month of December yeah. is Christmas, Christmas, Christmas. Interesting, yeah. And I mean, you could do the same thing with Easter and Lent. Yeah. But kind of like I think what Dr. John said about how do you commercialize Lent, a time of reflection. And And giving up like something. But in the church specifically, I think if we were focusing on it. Yeah, yeah. not a lot of um, churches focus on Lent. No. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, lots to take away today, and I just encourage you uh, this week: think about what happened today, think about what happened tomorrow as we go through Passion Week, and as John mentioned, you know, Wednesday the calm before the storm, and what happened on Thursday and Friday. And let's just be really focused this week on how significant this week is for us mm-hmm. as we lead up to Resurrection Sunday. I encourage you to be in your Word and to uh, follow along the story this week. And uh, I pray it impacts you deeply. And um, next Monday will be Easter Monday. We have a, a young couple joining us. We're talking about some family life stuff. And so, but this week, let's just focus on all things Easter. And um, we just pray that, uh, you know, this story, maybe you're listening or you're watching and you haven't given your life to the Lord yet. 
We pray that uh, dive into your Bible, read this story, and uh, we pray it changes your life forever too. Have a great week, and uh, we'll see you next Monday.